So with this being sort of the start of that pledging season, as I sort of already talked about, it's sort of a natural time to talk about stewardship, biblical stewardship. And, and really, I want to talk about it in the fullest sense, not just sort of the narrower financial perspective of, of biblical stewardship, which is certainly a part of it. But I want to talk about really stewardship in every sense. As human beings, God has placed an awful lot under our care for us to be faithful stewards and managers of money being one of those things, but there's a great many others as well. And so I want to sort of look at the, the theme of biblical stewardship from a wider perspective. We will talk about money. That is a part of it. And again, as I mentioned before, I, I don't want this to be viewed as sort of like, this is some sort of shakedown. The church just wants money. Oh, isn't the pastor's salary paid with the money we give? So Pastor Steve just wants some raise or something. So he's trying to get more out of us. That's not the mindset, but rather uh, we just want to talk about something that, that scripture addresses. Again, stewardship in its widest sense, but, but partly financially as well, and the reality that we are called to give back to the Lord and that we want to do so faithfully and generously and joyfully, and so we're going to talk a bit about that. And again, as I mentioned, it's sort of a natural time to do that as we're in this pledging season. So as we think about biblical stewardship and sort of what is it, uh, a starting place for us as we talk about stewardship is this verse that I want to read first, Deuteronomy Chapter 10, and it's verse 14, and here's what it says. The heavens, indeed the highest heavens, belonged to the Lord your God, as does the earth and everything in it. This is sort of foundational to the idea of stewardship, which is, in fact, we're not the owners, really, of anything. In spite of what your bank account might say in your names there or on the deed to your house, yes, from sort of a worldly, earthly perspective, yes, that's yours, it belongs to you. But from a truly biblical perspective, what are we told here? Everything belongs to God. The heavens, the earth, everything in it, period, end of story, all that is, it's God's. He's fundamentally the owner of it. It belongs to him. But he has placed certain things under our care, and we are to be faithful stewards of those, those things that he places under our care, whether finances. And we're going to talk about a great host of things, whether we think of creation. That's another thing we're going to talk about. But, but God's the owner of everything. We need to understand that. It, certainly, that's not, if you think of the world around us, the world's perspective. People sort of want to lay claim to, this is mine. These are my possessions, my house, my property, my money, my this, my that. But we understand as Christians, no, none of it's mine right? It's all God's, but he has placed it under my care, and I am to be faithful in my role of being a steward or manager of that which God has placed under my care. So now I want to talk about, well, what are some of these things that, that yeah, God's owner of, right? Yeah, it doesn't belong to us, but he has placed it in our care. What are some of those things, and, and how are to, we to be faithful stewards in, in those various roles? And the first I want us to take a look at is, in fact, creation, that God has made us, mankind, as stewards over the created order, the earthly created order. And we see this, we're going to turn all the way back to Genesis, as you might expect, chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 15. And here's what it says. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it, right? This is man's role from the beginning. Certainly, yes, God uses creation to provide for the man, and that, that's a reality, and we should recognize that that's the case for us too, not just Adam way back in the day, but for us as well, that God uses creation to provide for us. But, but there's also the reality that we are to be stewards over creation. What did he do with Adam 
it here. He put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it, right? He is there to work it, care for it, watch over it, protect it, guard it, to help to see, to make it thrive, right? That is, that is man's role over creation. God's the owner of it. It doesn't belong to us. It's not like I own the whole world or mankind. We own the whole world. We do not. God is the owner of it, but he has placed it under our care. And that's a wonderful blessing, but it's also a great responsibility that we need to take faithfully. And I think the reality is here, you can all too easily sort of swing to, to one of two extremes, right? One extreme, I would say, would be, if you think of those, you might label them, oh, they're tree huggers. They're all about green this, green that. Uh, and, and even for Christians who might be of that persuasion, might, might come to a verse like this and say, yeah, you know, hey, Pastor Steve, you're talking about we need to be stewards over creation. So we need to do all we can to, to see creation thrive and so forth. And I'd say, yeah, there's truth to that. But there can also be a sense in which it's lost the reality that God's priority is mankind, not animals and the creation around us, right? If you take this perspective, this sort of very green, all about the earth, uh, to an extreme, it can become where sort of a whale's life, or you insert the animal or whatnot, becomes more important, more valued than a human life. And we need to have the right balance and perspective that, yes, we are to be stewards over God's creation. We should do our part to help it to thrive and, and blossom. But we also need to have that, that proper balance of humanity is a priority in God's sight, and, and therefore it should be in our sight, over and against animals and trees and so forth, right? And so the reality is, yeah, we're going to cut down trees to build houses. And when we need paper, you know, you need a car to get to work so you can provide for your family. So you're going to burn some fossil fuels and so forth, right? We don't go to some crazy extreme just to save a few trees or animals, and then mankind suffers as a result. So we have to have that, that proper balance. But then the other extreme can be sort of just to trample needlessly upon creation and just say, hey, well, hey, you know, it, it serves humanity, so why not? I'll just trample all over creation. And sort of to use an example, if you, you want to sort of highlight, well, what, what would this look like? I sort of think of, I'm not saying you can't think of other examples, but this is sort of a good one in my mind. If we think of in our country, so many of our rivers and streams, if you sort of go back a bit in time, were thoroughly polluted. And now a lot of them have been cleaned up and so forth. But if you think of, you can even see them in the New England area. If you go to places where there are rivers or decent streams where once upon a time it was probably some sort of mill town or, or city because, well, this is before electricity. And how did you power factories? Well, you used the motion of the water to power the factory. Well, then when they had their waste products, well, what's sort of the easiest way to go and dispose of it? Instead of doing it responsibly, it's just easy sort of to dump all those chemicals right into the stream. And then it becomes polluted after years of doing that, and, and no life can even survive in those streams. And that has been the case in, in cities all across the world for, for quite a span of time. Now the trend is sort of, we got to clean up those, those rivers and so forth. And most of them are healthy at this point. But, but the bottom line is sort of, that was man saying needlessly, like, hey, we don't care about creation. We could easily take these, these chemicals and just sort of put them in the ground here where they're not going to damage the streams and the wildlife there and so forth. We could dispose of it responsibly. responsibly. But the, the mindset was, that takes a little effort. Why do that? We can just easily dump it here, and who cares what the cost is? That's sort of needlessly trampling upon creation, and we shouldn't do that. And again, I don't want us to, to go to either sort of extreme, but rather to have a proper balance of Right, humanity is the priority. We need to recognize that, but we should still seek to be a blessing to the creation around us. God has made us stewards over creation. We should take that role seriously and seek to be a blessing to creation and help to see it thrive insofar as we are able and don't sort of, you know, damage mankind in, in the process. 
So to be faithful stewards over creation, but there are certainly other areas of stewardship as well. And so I want us to turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. And let me read this for us. Peter's writing here, of course, and he says, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Here Peter's talking about spiritual gifts, and, and he's saying, hey, for each and every one of us, we've received a spiritual gift, or you might have multiple, it doesn't have to be just one, but we all have at least one spiritual gift from the Lord. And, and what does he say? Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in various forms. Basically, you've been given this gift, and what are we given this gift for? What's sort of the purpose? It's not just sort of to puff ourselves up in pride and be like, I've got the greatest gift, this wonderful, powerful gift, and mine's better than yours, and I'm so wonderful and great. No, it should be a service mindset. God has given us these gifts to serve the body of Christ, to serve the church, to use it for the building up of the church. And, and we shouldn't either have our gift and have that prideful mindset of look at me how great I am, but I'd say that's probably not so common in the church, but perhaps a common approach is to say, maybe I don't even know what my spiritual gift is, and so how can I even use it and be a faithful steward of it and use it for the, the betterment of the church if I don't know what it is? Or another common reality I would say is people might have a, a spiritual gift and indeed do if they belong to the Lord. Maybe they even know what it is, but they're just not using it. And again, that's not being a faithful steward of this spiritual gift God has given you. He's given it to you for a reason, for, for the betterment of the church, that it might be built up and edified. And being a good steward of that spiritual gift is going and actually actively using it that the church might grow and be nourished and be edified as a result. And I want to read for us as we're thinking of gifts, God giving us gifts that we're to use as well and be faithful stewards of. I want to read, turning to the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 31, verses 1 through 11. I'll read it for us. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skill to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Moreover, I have appointed Aholiab, son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. Also, I have given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I have commanded you the tent of meeting, the ark of the covenant law, with the atonement cover on it, and all the other furnishings of the tent, the table and its articles, the pure gold lampstand and all its accessories, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering, and all its utensils, the basin with its stand, and also the woven garments, both the sacred garments for Aaron the priest and the garments for his sons when they serve as priests, and the anointing oil and fragrant incense for the holy place, there to make them just as I commanded you. Right, so, so there's all this work that's to be done for the tabernacle, all of the, the, the furniture and vessels of the tabernacle that would be used there. Right, All of this needs to be done, and God has gifted people to do the work. You have Bezalel, who's very clearly been supernaturally gifted, uh, right, as we read here. See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, with all kinds of skill. This is sort of supernatural. It's not just this is sort of you know, natural gifting and talents and abilities. This is beyond that, 
right? And he's given him this wondrous supernatural gifting, right, to then go and be a faithful steward of, of that gift and use it, not to sort of sit on it and say, hey, you know, this is cool that I'm so good at this, but, but I'm not going to use it as God has, has called me to, to do it. No, he's going to be a faithful steward, and indeed is, and uses that gifting that God has given, right? He's, he's a faithful steward of it and uses it and carries out this role. We also see others here. It says, also, I've given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I've commanded you. And then he goes on to describe that. Here it's not so clear. Is this sort of some supernatural kind of gifting? Is here, are we talking about just sort of natural skills and abilities? Ultimately, it sort of doesn't matter. Either way, we can talk about spiritual gifts, supernatural gifting that, that Bezalel has here. But we can also talk about just sort of natural talents and abilities that God has given to us. And again, we're to use each and every one of those as God has called us to. We're to be faithful stewards of them. We're to use them in service to the Lord. Now, yes, certainly he gives us natural talents and abilities toward other ends. Part of being a faithful steward of that is maybe using those gifts and talents and abilities you have to work a job. Maybe God's gifted you in certain ways and you can use those to have a job and, and provide for your family. That's part of God's plan for, for giving you natural talents and abilities to be sure. But, but I think all too often we sort of use it just toward our own ends and, and, and rather than, than recognizing God's also given me these talents and abilities and also the, the spiritual gifts as well in service to the church, to use them in, in ministry and service to God's people for the building up of the church. And I want to even speak to the fact that not only are we in sort of this pledging season, but we've also been in the midst of sort of already thinking of next year and planning. We've got the nominating committee at work and, and we're filling positions, board positions, elders, uh, you know, other officers and so forth, treasurer, you name it, you know. We're filling all these positions, but, and that's a wonderful blessing. People at New Hope Chapel year after year just sort of step up, even though we're a small congregation, but we still have a pretty good list of positions to fill. People are faithful, eager to step in, use their gifts, their, their talents, their abilities, spiritual gifts in service to the Lord. We do still have some openings, so maybe perhaps God could be laying it on your heart now. We have some openings. We have an opening in missions. We need someone to step up and lead that. Uh, we have an opening in family ministries, unless there's sort of an update over the last week that I haven't heard about, but that's sort of where things stood a week ago. We'd like to add a few people to the nominating committee as well, and I'm not trying to pressure people, and maybe that's not your gifting and skill set and so forth, and that's fine. But, but even if it's not one of those, we can always use more people helping out with teaching our kids or in the nursery or ushers or you name it. There's always open positions, ways in which people can step in and, and help and serve, and I just want to encourage all of us. I think we're a church that that is good at this, so I'm not sort of criticizing us and we do a terrible job. We have a very high percentage of people actively involved. It's pretty nearly everyone, um, and so that's great, but, but I do just want to encourage people to, to step up and recognize, hey, I've been gifted in various ways, but it's not just for me to pat myself on the back and say I'm so wonderful at things, but I need to be a faithful steward and use those gifts in service to the Lord. As we think of other areas of stewardship, we recognize that, that time on this earth is, is a gift that God has given to us, and yet we're, we need to recognize it's not just a blessing, it is a blessing, but it is a responsibility as well, and we need to be faithful stewards of, of every moment that we have on this earth. I think it can be all too easy just for the, the days, weeks, months, years to sort of just pass by and, and we can be all about our, our own agenda, just sort of doing our thing, got to get a job, got to get a promotion, more money, house, car, kids, you name it, you know, and retire and this and that, sort of the American dream. And then all of a sudden you can be 70 years old or whatever and looking back and saying, man, did, you know, from a kingdom perspective, it's sort of like I was busy building my kingdom. 
but I wasn't very busy building God's kingdom. As I sort of looked at, look at it from, from a God's kingdom perspective, sort of what did I accomplish? What did I do in service to the Lord? And it can be all too easy to sort of waste away our days, our years. And I don't want that to be the case for us. I want us to be able to, as we're, we're old, maybe on our deathbed, you know, and looking back and saying, man, I, you know, I wasn't perfect. But, but I really sought to, to use every, every moment as best as I could in service to the Lord. I didn't predominantly waste away my time just doing a, whatever I wanted to, but I really sought to live to the fullest in service to the Lord, right? Being a faithful steward of every year that I was given. And that's what I want for us, to recognize our time on this earth. It, it, it's short. In the grand scheme of things, you know, it might sound like, oh, quite a number of years, 80 years, whatever we might get. Oh, that's a decent length of time, but, but whether it's in, if you take it in over the course of the history of mankind, if you look at it from an eternal perspective, it's like, it's but a breath, it's here and then it's gone. It's so quick and I want to make sure that we make the fullest of it. We want to be faithful stewards of the time that we're given and live it to the fullest in service to the Lord. Uh, certainly another area of, of stewardship is that of our bodies. We're called to be faithful stewards of, of our bodies. God has blessed us with, with, with these bodies. We shouldn't be trampling upon them, treating them poorly. Again, I, I don't want to go to some extreme of like, now you're super risk averse and anything that could conceivably harm you, you'll never do. You know what I mean? You get into your car and you take a risk. You could get into an accident. Who knows? I'm not trying to make us paranoid and I, I got to avoid anything that could possibly harm me. But we should do to the best of our ability, what we can to keep our bodies in good health and, and seek to be faithful stewards of our bodies that we then also might live a long life and have more time to, to be faithful stewards of and live in service to the Lord. I want to turn to another area of stewardship as well. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. You can turn there if you'd like, or you can just listen to me read it. And it's verses 1 and 2. Here's what Paul writes. He says, this is how one should regard us. Now, the us here, he's talking about himself and his fellow co-laborers in the gospel. But it's not to say this applies only to them. Really, this applies to all of us as Christians. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And mysteries of God there, that's just a way of him saying the gospel message, right? He's saying we're stewards. He's talking about himself, his co-laborers in the gospel, right? Hey, we're stewards of the gospel. And again, this goes for each and every one of us, right? We all have a share in the Great Commission. We're all called to be witnesses for Christ. We have this wondrous gospel message that, that changes everything, right? It truly does. Christ is, he came to this earth. He, he went to a cross. He took our place, our punishment. He, he, he bore the wrath of God for us, right? So that, that through faith in him, we might be forgiven, saved, have everlasting life. It's this wondrous gospel message that, that offers everlasting life for all who receive Christ, who turn toward him in repentant faith. It truly changes everything. And we've been entrusted with this wondrous gospel message. And we're to go and bring it with us everywhere we go and share it with, with everyone we can. And we're to be faithful stewards of that gospel that has been entrusted to us. And we shouldn't say, hey, I'm just going to keep it to myself. I'm glad that I understand the gospel, that I've received Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I'll just sort of, you know, do my own thing on the side here and just focus on myself. No, we need to recognize we've been given this message. We're to be stewards of it and go and bring it to others and faithfully proclaim it to them. And so we're called to do that. And we need to be faithful stewards of the gospel in that way. 
And then thinking of another area of stewardship, and this is probably typically where our minds go when we think of, oh, we're going to talk about stewardship, biblical stewardship, and, and, and we sort of naturally go toward money, and, and that's a reality, but I, I don't want us to ignore all the other areas that we've talked about, but I do want to talk about being a faithful steward of our finances and again, as we think of being a faithful steward of our finances, we probably start to think of, well, giving back to the Lord. And that's part of it. But again, I don't want to uh, disregard the other areas of our finances in which we're still to be faithful stewards. God has blessed us with all sorts of financial resources. Uh, and, and a big part of being a faithful steward of those financial resources is providing for yourself and your family. That, that's part of why God has blessed you with those. It's not that 100% of it gets given to the Lord. Part of why he's blessed us with, with all that he's given to us is, is that we might provide for ourselves, put a roof over our heads for, for our spouse, for our kids, right? That, that's a reality. and We want to be faithful stewards of that or even thinking toward the future and, you know, hey, one day, you know, I'm going to be older and not be able to work a job. And so part of being a faithful steward is preparing for retirement and saving up and all of that. That is a reality. But then I do want to talk about what, again, we probably typically think of as we're going to talk about biblical stewardship. And our mind tends to go toward giving back to the Lord. And again, that is a big part of faithful stewardship of our finances. Part of it, part of why God has blessed us with these resources is that we might generously give back to him in service to ministry, kingdom ministry. And I want to read for us from Le Leviticus. I want to read Leviticus chapter 27, and it's verses 30 through 33. And here's what it says. And then I'll, after reading, I'll kind of explain this a little bit. A tithe, or really that just means a tenth, if you don't know what a tithe means or refers to. A tithe or tenth of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. If a man redeems any of his tithe, he must add a fifth of the value to it. The entire tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod, will be holy to the Lord. He must not pick out the good from the bad or make any substitution. If he does make a substitution, both the animal and its substitute become holy and cannot be redeemed. Bottom line, right, what, what is this command here that's a part of the, the, the Old Testament law, the Old Covenant, the covenant made at Sinai there with Moses, right? What's commanded here? Well, a tenth of, you know, imagine sort of if you're a farmer, you know, typical professions of the day. Now, in our day and age, you'd probably say just 10% of your salary. That would be the case for most of us. But for those who would be working the, the soil, it would be a tenth of your harvest. Whatever the produce is from the land, a tenth of that, that was to be given to the Lord. Or if you're a shepherd, you tend flocks. Well, then it would be a tenth of your flock was to be given to the Lord. And this was to support, of course, the Levites, the priests who were going to be fully dedicated to the Lord and devoted to ministry and, and serving him. Now, the question here that's naturally to be posed is, well, is this still legally binding for us in the New Covenant, right? We, we certainly recognize, Scripture says this explicitly uh, in the New Testament, that, that the Old Covenant is now obsolete. As sort of a collective legal system as a covenant, it is no more legally binding and in force. It has now been replaced with a New Covenant, the New Covenant that we have in Christ. And, and so the Old Covenant, all the laws that are a part of it, are no longer legally binding. Right? And I'd say the way we ought to approach the, it, that's not to say, well, now, hey, it's no longer valid and legally binding as a covenant that's still in force. So let's just sort of throw it out. There's, why even bother to read it? That, right? It's not like it, it no longer has value. Let's just throw it out. But the reality is, as we approach all of the laws of the old covenant, we recognize that behind sort of the letter of the law for each of these commands, there's a principle, a timeless theological truth principle that is behind it. 
right? And so now the question to ask here is sort of, if it's not legally binding, what is sort of that theological truth principle behind this command of giving a tithe of everything to the Lord? And before I get to this specific passage in tithing, I do want to say that certainly some of the commands, as we think about it from, from the old covenant, things like you shall not murder, right? Don't murder. Sometimes the, the sort of timeless principle behind it is really the exact same as, as the letter of the law. And you would sort of say that with, with commands that are really entirely moral in nature, a command like you shall not murder. You think of, well, what's sort of the timeless principle behind that? Well, human life has value right, has worth, and so you're not to go and take it, you shouldn't murder. It's sort of, they're the exact same. So sometimes the reality is, is even if you think of the letter of the law, and then, well, what's that, that even if it's not legally enforced, that, that covenant's now obsolete, well, what's the timeless principle behind it? Sometimes they're sort of one in the same, and you see that with those, those commands that are really entirely moral in nature. But sometimes you have other commands that might be a little bit more ceremonial in nature uh, or sort of civil law. And, and the reality is oftentimes the way people, scholars, want to break up the, the law and the old covenant is to say, well, there's moral laws and then there's ceremonial laws and the civil laws. And it's almost like it has to be one or the other. But the reality is that's not how an ancient Israelite would have seen the law. They would have seen it as a cohesive whole and either all of it's binding as a covenant or none of it is, is legally enforced anymore. And the reality is you look at even individual individual commands, and often the, the moral and the ceremonial and the civil, they're sort of interwoven together. And so it's not always so crystal clear, well, is this, is this moral? Is it ceremonial? Is it civil? E even this command, you think about it, really all three are present. I'd say there's a moral aspect to it, the principle of giving back to the Lord. I say there's sort of a civil aspect to it in regard to sort of the governance of how the, the, the nation of Israel was to operate. Well, you have, you have the Levites, and they didn't have this inheritance and allotment in the land, and, and they were to be fully devoted to the Lord. So how were they to be provided for in this whole structure of how the nation was to work? Well, through this, this tithe, right? But then there's also sort of the, the ceremonial religious implications of, right, this is entirely about the Levites being freed up to be able to be fully devoted to the Lord. So you can't just look and say, is it ceremonial? Is it moral? Is it civil, right? They naturally weave together. And I'd say the right approach is to recognize that this is an old covenant that is now obsolete, no longer legally binding as a legal system. But again, looking, we should be looking to the principle behind the letter of the law and recognize that is timeless and still carries forward. So now, what is the timeless principle here behind this command of, of giving a tithe of, you know, whether it's the, the produce of, of your, your crop as a farmer or whether it's your flock as a shepherd? And, and I would say that the principle is simply that we are to give back to the Lord in service to him, to support ministry that's in service to him and, and his kingdom. That is the timeless principle and truth that carries forward into the new covenant era in Christ. Uh, and I would say that sort of the, the rigid legalism of, of 10%, that was for way back in the day, you know, for Israel. But I would say that's no longer legally binding for us as, as Christians in the new covenant. And I'd say sort of supporting that too is the reality that nowhere in, in the New Testament do you see this 10% reaffirmed as something that is still to be present, that everyone in the church is to be giving exactly 10% and that's how it is. Nowhere is that uh, affirmed, but there is certainly the reality and what is affirmed that we are to give back to the Lord. And I'd say that's how uh, people in the, the New Testament era, Christians, those who wrote scripture of, inspired by the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, that's how sort of they understood it. That was their understanding of uh, of, yes, there's this principle of giving back to the Lord, but there's no longer this rigid 
Now, I think 10% is probably a good general guideline. I'm not trying to throw that out and say, forget about it, now you're off the hook. Just give 1% and you're fine, whatever you want. Uh, and in fact, it, it, to answer the question, well, then what are we to give? If it's not legally, rigidly 10% for each and every one of us, what are we to give? And I'd say the answer to that is whatever God calls you to give. Again, I think 10% is a good guideline, but, but for some, maybe God's blessed you greatly and abundantly, and he's saying, I, I want you to give 15%. Well, then that's what you ought to give. I mean, you could think of someone who's a billionaire and, and they could live off of like 1% of what they make. And maybe God's saying, hey, I'll let you have 25%, but I want you to give 75 because you have billions and billions of dollars, right? Uh, perhaps, though, to look at the flip sides, right, maybe somebody, yeah, God's providing for them, but, but it, there's not a lot of abundance and, and luxury and, and things are tight. And maybe God's saying to them, hey, 2% is, is what I'm calling you to give, or, or 3 or 4 right? I think it varies for each and every one of us, and I'd say it doesn't have to be rigidly 10%. That was under the old covenant, but I don't think that that carries forward into the new covenant uh, in Christ. But I do want to speak a little bit to sort of principles in regard to how we ought to give. And we see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. And I want to be fair to the context here. This is not exactly the context of giving to the Lord in service to, to supporting the cost of ministry. This is more the reality of, hey, in, in Jerusalem, the church there, the, the Jewish believers there, uh, there was hardship, poverty, things were tough there. And so Paul is taking up a collection to help them in their time of need. So he's going about sort of through the, the Gentile world and, and taking up collections to support the church in Jerusalem. So it's not the exact same situation, uh, but I'd say the principles here that he's talking about still apply. And here's what he says. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So he uses this, this agricultural farming metaphor, which, which is true. I'm no expert on, on growing crops in any way, shape, or form. But, but this is certainly true. If you sow in a very sparing way, like, oh, I'll just sprinkle like a little seed and that's it. Don't expect some wonderful harvest like you're going to grow tons of crops. Your, your harvest is going to be a little bit sparse if you sow sparingly. But, but of course, on the flip side, again, from the agricultural perspective, if the way in which you sow is, is, is generous and abundant, well, what kind of harvest might you expect to have? I realize rain and all sorts of other things factor into it, but sort of as a general rule, if you're going to sow generously, expect a more generous, proportional, right, proportionally great and, and abundant harvest. And so he uses this agricultural metaphor and he applies it to giving here and it readily applies. Basically, he's saying, if you give in sort of a sparse way, well, then the blessing you ought to expect to get back from the Lord is going to be a little bit sparse. But if you give in this great abundant and generous way, well, then what kind of blessing from the Lord in turn are you going to get? Well, you'll get what, what is fitting, abundant blessing from the Lord. So here he's encouraging them, you know, Right? You, ought, you ought to want to give generously just because you want to, to help your, your brothers and sisters in Christ who are over in Jerusalem in their time of need. You should want to give generously just in service to the Lord, but also recognize there is something in it for you too. If you give generously, right, God's going to bless. He's going to bless abundantly. And so he's encouraging them toward generous giving. But he goes on as well, verse 7, he says, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
right? This is really even more than the amount that you give. This is what God cares most about, your heart attitude when you give. God wants you to be giving joyfully, cheerfully, not sort of like, uh, you know, someone successfully guilted you into giving a lot of money. You were, someone sort of twisted your arm and kind of begrudgingly with sort of a bitter, sour attitude, fine, I'll, I'll give this large amount of money to the church or to the people in Jerusalem who have need or whatever it might be. God doesn't want that sort of attitude, that, that sort of bitter, begrudging attitude in giving. He wants his people to give generously. That is the priority, right? So you think of sort of ideally how ought we to give. We ought to give generously, abundantly, as the Lord is calling us to give. And also we ought to give joyfully, with great joy in our hearts, right? But if you think about, well, what if you're sort of struggling? The reality is, because we're broken, fallen, sinful creatures, perhaps some of us, as we think of, you know, I feel like God's calling me to give this, this generous amount of money, but I'm just struggling to do that. It seems like a lot. I'm going to struggle to do that with a joyful heart. If sort of, you can't bring yourself to give the full, generous, abundant amount and do it joyfully, what God would rather you do is give less and do it with joy in your heart rather than sort of mustering the strength to give the full amount, but you're sort of bitter and reluctant and not really wanting to do it. And your, your heart attitude, it's just not in the right place, right? God doesn't want that. He'd rather you actually do less, but give less, but, but give it joyfully. And so if that's you, if you think of this pledging season and, and you know, I want to encourage you, give the full generous amount, do it with with great joy in your heart. And as Paul says, you'll be blessed as a result. And that doesn't mean that the blessing is going to be financial. I mean, it could be, God can do that, but, but more likely than not, it's going to be blessing in other areas of life rather than financially, right? But if you give, you give generously, you give joyfully, God's going to bless. And so I just want to encourage you to do that. But if you're just struggling to do that, and it's like, I just can't seem to joyfully give that full amount, then I would encourage you to give uh, whatever you can comfortably give with joy still being in your heart. Don't, don't do the full amount, but then you're just angry about it and bitter and, and, and have a bad attitude. Give whatever you can give by still giving in such a way that you still have that joyful attitude in your heart about it, because that's what the Lord wants, a cheerful giver. And I want to read one more passage for us. This is Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. And here we read, the Lord speaking, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Right here, the Lord's saying to his people, to, to the people of Judy, saying, bring in the full amount. What I'm calling you to give, give it. Give, give that full amount, give it generously, abundantly, and do it with, with joy in your hearts as we know we're called to do. And he says, if you do that, the blessing you'll receive, it's like it will blow your mind. You won't have room enough for it. it. It will just be so far and above what you could imagine. And he says that to his people way back in Malachi's day, and he's saying the same to us now. If, if you give that full, generous amount, and if you do it with great joy in your heart, he's saying, I'm just going to bless you in ways that'll just blow your mind. And I want that to be encouragement to us. We really shouldn't do it first and foremost for ourselves and the blessing that we're going to get in turn in some sort of selfish motive. But it should be an added encouragement to, to sort of stir us to faithful giving. We should do it first and foremost for the Lord, just out of a love for him and a desire to, to give back to him and service to him. But as an added motive, we, we should recognize if we do it faithfully and joyfully, uh, generously, God's just going to bless in, in amazing ways. And, and uh, just what an encouragement it is in giving to know that.
But I want to sort of, having talked about the, the money side of, of stewardship and, and giving back to the Lord, I, I do want to, before we sort of end things, wrap it up, I, I want to come back to the bigger, wider sense of big biblical stewardship. As we think of stewardship, it isn't just about money. It's about all those varied aspects of, of stewardship, all those things that God has placed in our care, whether it be the whole of creation, the earthly creation that he has made us stewards over. Whether we think of our spiritual gifts, our natural talents and abilities, we want to be faithful stewards of those. Whether it's our time, our bodies, the gospel, money, right? Every area of stewardship, we want to be faithful in our role as managers, as stewards over what God has placed in our care. And so I just want to challenge us to do that. But then as we do think about the financial side, as we are in this pledging season in the yearly sort of cycle of the church, I do want to challenge us to be faithful stewards in regard to finances and giving back to the Lord. And I want to challenge us to, to give back, to pledge, and, and, and follow through on the pledge as well, and give generously, give joyfully, and be abundantly blessed as a result. Amen. And let's pray. Lord God, what a, a great joy and privilege, but also great responsibility it is to be a steward over so many wondrous things. We want to be faithful in that role, Lord. We want to take that role seriously, whether it's creation, whether it's our talents and abilities, whether it's finances, our, uh, the gospel, or, or, or our bodies, whatever it might be, Lord. We want to be faithful in that role, and Holy Spirit, do the work in our hearts that we need to carry out that faithfulness in every way, to be faithful stewards of the gospel, as we talked about, and be faithful witnesses for you in our daily lives, bringing the gospel with us wherever we go at all times, sharing about you and what you've done for us, whether it's stewardship over creation, and as we talked about, having that, that appropriate balance, recognizing, yes, humanity is the priority, but we should still seek to be a blessing to creation and see it thrive, help us to live that out faithfully to be good stewards of our time, not wasting it away as we can so easily do, but living every moment to the fullest for you. Help us to be faithful stewards, Lord, of, of every spiritual gift and natural talent and ability that you've given to us, and you've given us those gifts and talents and abilities, Lord, to be used in service to you, in service to your church for its building up, its growth. And may we be faithful in our role and use those spiritual gifts, use those talents and abilities to serve you, to serve your people, that your kingdom might grow and, and move forward and be edified, Lord. We pray for faithfulness and, and stewardship of our money in every sense, being, being wise in how we manage all that you've placed in our care, using it to provide for ourselves, our families, Lord, planning for the future as well, but also help us to be faithful and as stewards over our resources, financial resources in regard to giving back to you, Lord. And may we do so generously, joyfully, and then bless us so abundantly as you have said you will. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.